Welcome back. TSN 690 Game Night OT. We uh, just witnessed a huge moment in uh, Canadian tennis history, followed by uh, only the second most awkward on uh, field on court interview I've seen in the last 24 hours. Let's bring in our uh, our first guest of the evening. He is the National Post sports columnist, everybody's favorite, Bruce Arthur. Good evening, Bruce. Now, Dave, all I ask of this interview is that you do not, at any point in the interview, ask me that of anyone in the world, who could I date, who would it be? Just don't ask me that. Well, I'll make you a deal, Bruce. If you say Bieber, this interview's done. <laughs> and all that admiration and love is pretty much tossed out the window. Uh, <laughs> and first of all, let's start with that, because honestly, we went from four of us sitting in the studio cheering to four of us sitting in the studio groaning. Could you imagine somebody asking a male that question? No, and that's the point. Is that that's a stupid, uh, kind of degrading, ridiculous question that puts a nineteen-year-old on the spot. And I mean, she was fearless all day and all of that, but it's just a stupid question. And it's not like she's going to say you can't ask me that in front of however many people are in the stadium. And this is really the biggest moment of her professional life, and she's being asked, you know, <laughs> who would you date? It's just. Stupid. So I'm going to give her a mulligan on the on the Bieber answer, uh, even though that isn't the answer that you'd kind of hope anyone would give. But she's 19, you know. Uh, but it's that's women's tennis to a degree. Is women's tennis gets treated a whole lot differently than the men. No, I guess that's that's the point, and, and hopefully we can look past that here and just look at this huge moment. Uh, Eugenie Bouchard has managed to do something that uh, Milos Ranić could not. Well, and. and one of the things with this tournament is Raonic was actually a disappointment again, even though the kid he lost to is a guy who's coming up, a guy who is, is going to be a pretty good player and is rising to the rankings. But at this stage of his career, Raonic still hasn't made a quarterfinal, much less a semifinal of a slam. And yes, it's, it's apples and oranges. It's an ocean. It's dry land. There's a lot more depth of field on the men's side, but he's been a disappointment in this case though. You can talk about the women's game and the state of it and depth of field and the fact that Serena got knocked out and all of that. But over the years, this is the second woman in Canadian history to make the semifinals of the slam, Carling Bassett, the U.S. Open in 1984. But otherwise, this is remarkable. Um, and the way she did it was, I think, as impressive as anything in that Anna Ivanovich is not the greatest player that we've ever seen, although she did her breakthrough tournament happen in Montreal at the, at the Rogers, uh, Rogers Cup. Um, but Eugenie Bouchard put on the biggest stage she's ever been on, put in a situation where the stakes were higher than she's ever seen, played with an utter lack of fear uh, on match point, on set points, on break points. She went for it. And that, to me, tells me as much about her as anything else. And now she gets to face uh, Lina. Yeah, and that's, I mean, who knows at this point? It's, at this point, it's, it's gravy. And it almost doesn't know. matter. Yeah, exactly. Eh? <laughs> Which is, again, a really weird way to look at it. Of course, we, we would love nothing more than to see a winner. But just to know, I mean, this should, if she was hovering around the 30th in the world, this is going to move her up at least into the top 20. Well, I believe, I believe this actually gets her into the top 20. Um, and I think she told ESPN uh, just like a, a little while ago that her goal for 2014 was to make top 20. I think she's going to maybe have to readjust that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, we're talking with Bruce Arthur on Game Night OT, TSN 690, uh, Jay Farrar and Dave Kaufman. Let's uh, shift gears to last night's football game, which was um, really everything that you want and fear from uh, the National Football League. 
Yeah, the, the line I, I used that I like the best to describe it was, if Game of Thrones was a football game, it would look like that. Like, that was a terrifying, emotional, exulting, kind of uh, amazing football game. Like, that's, that was the NFL in all of its violence, all of its skill, all of its kind of big moments, incredible swings, luck, everything. Um, and then... Yeah. For Richard... The, the, Here's the thing with the Richard Sherman I have a problem with. The reaction to it, the, the notion that he wasn't classy enough, the notion that he didn't have enough decorum, the notion that he, he, he offended people by going out and boasting and, and, and shouting and screaming in his on-field interview 30 seconds after the game with Aaron Andrews. What do you think you were watching? What do you think football is? What do you think these guys have to do to get into a state of mind to get to build up the courage to play a game that can snap your leg like it did to Navarro Bowman early in the fourth quarter at any moment, that can turn your brain to mush, that can destroy your body, and in which you have so little control over your face. Um, this is what football is. Uh, this was a glimpse into how Richard Sherman made that play. And people kind of kind of criticized him because the question that Aaron Andrews asked was, take us through that final play where he jumps up and gets one hand on a pass destined for Michael Crabtree in the corner of the end zone from Colin Kaepernick, and he tips it to another player, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure was an intentional play. Um, he took you through what he was thinking on that play. He took you exactly to where he was on that play, which, in which he said, I'm the best, he's no good, I'm better than him, that's what I did. And that is as close of an answer as you'll ever find to actually knowing what it's like to be inside one of those games. See, and I think we see it every week, Bruce, at the start of the game when they bring a camera into a, a huddle and everybody's pumping each other up and yelling and screaming and batting their chests. And it's kind of the North American version of the Haka. And how do you lose that? How do you lose that, that competitive edge within seconds of the biggest play of your career? What I saw out of this was that Twitter and much of America is very afraid of the big black man still. I think, I think there's, there's an aspect of that, to be sure, because there was an immense amount of racism that poured out. But that happens on Twitter. All yeah, that's the Internet. Anything. I mean, yeah. you could find racism against Japanese people after Fukushima. OK, so you can find it for pretty much anything. Um, that being said, I think there is an aspect of this. I mean, some people, some guys, Peyton Manning, if that had been Peyton Manning and he just thrown the touchdown pass, he would have come off and given you a business suit interview, like right away. And a lot of guys can do that, but not everyone can. And that, to me, is the problem here. Is people are demanding that every single athlete in that moment act the same way, act to this imaginary standard of class. Again, you just watched a football game in which Navarro Bowman, in one of the greatest plays I've ever freaking seen in my life, where he wrestles the ball away from a ball carrier, has his leg snapped in half, more or less, by a teammate, and goes down holding on to the ball. And has popcorn thrown at him, by the way, as he's leaving the stadium on a cart. After watching these guys hit each other with just violent intent, like, that was a terrifying game to watch. Like, watching a running back... With three guys coming in on me, I had to imagine the courage that it takes to play in a game like that. Um, after watching that spectacle, you're offended because an athlete trash-talked another athlete on national television. Without swearing, eye contact with a camera like a pro. Really, that is what bothers you. 
after all of that. To me, what this smacks of is there's a racism aspect, to be sure. But there's also an aspect that we demand the NFL be sanitized enough, or some people do, demand that it be sanitized enough, that we're not really watching what we're watching, that we're not watching these guys who are and have to be, to a degree, insane people on the field. I mean, there was the lazy stereotyping of Richard Sherman, that he's dumb, he's ignorant. I mean, he graduated from Stanford, thank you very much. And I made the line the other day, if someone from Stanford was going to be someone who was going to sow fear and terror and, and kind of discomfort in the American population, I would have put my money on Condoleezza Rice. Which is great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it, it tells you, people don't really know what they're watching. Like, football is the most brutal game we have. It is, a, it is such an incredibly demanding game that destroys the people who play it. And you're offended because this guy had too much confidence that he spoke too emotionally after winning the biggest play of, making the biggest play of his career? Come on. You know, I think one of the other big parts of it, Bruce, is that people look at football as, as team versus team and not so much as these little individual battles that, that control the entire game. And this was an example of a battle that went on all week long. And, and supposedly, if you listen to uh, Sherman's side of the story, they had a, he had a run-in with Crabtree last year. Yeah, and not only that, like one, his brother told the Seattle Times, as Jerry Brewer, that uh, he tried to shake hands with him, a charity, a charity thing run by Larry Fitzgerald, and Crabtree's tried to get in a fight. Um, after the game, he says that he tried to shake hands with Crabtree after the game, and Crabtree pushed his face. So, yeah, he was a little emotional in that moment. If you watch Richard Sherman's other interviews, he was much calmer. He didn't shout. He was still Richard Sherman outspoken, really smart, interesting, complex guy. But I'll tell you, like, in that moment, after that game, I'm not going to blame anyone for being completely honest and not being able to hide their emotions. I'm really not, because I know what I'm watching. Like, I'm surprised that anyone can do it sometimes, that these guys, like, I've been to games where guys are, devastating losses, incredibly emotional things, and they're able to talk about it moments after with intelligence and grace and all of that. And I'm always amazed by it. But I never take it for granted because, like, you go to an Olympics. One of the greatest things about the Olympics, I always say, that win or lose, there's a pretty good chance somebody's going to cry. Um, so that, that's the emotion of, the, of these games. And in this case, the emotion was pride and scorn. And that's, you know what? Sports has room for all of that. That's the idea that I that I don't think people quite understand, Bruce, that you have to place yourself in a certain frame of mind to go out there and do what these guys are doing. You really have to put you have to hype yourself up. You really got to start hating the other guy. That's what I told people. I said, you don't really understand, do you? What do you think they say? The guys are in the home like, all right, boys, let's go out and get them right now. That's not exactly what's happening. Anyway, it could have been worse. Sherman could have tugged at the logo on his jersey or something, yeah, something and we wouldn't like want that. that to happen. Yeah. Oh Lord! I mean, yeah. and, and and what do you think that him and Michael Crabtree were talking? Like, well, if you'd mic those two guys up, yeah. Do you think it would have been like that, or do you think it would have been worse? Do you think he wouldn't have made it PG for network entertainment? Like, again, this is what it's like being Richard Sherman. This is him telling you who he is as a football player on the field. We should appreciate that. Like, he was honest. I will take that 100 times out of 100. And finally, Bruce, what would we rather out of an interview, the one that we saw last night or the one that we just saw with Eugenie Bouchard? Oh, man, you know, I, w I would like someone, and you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if actually at Super Bowl Media Day, someone does ask, ask Mr. Sherman who he would like to date. Oh, goodness. Don't let it be you. <laughs> <laughs> You're heading to the Super Bowl, I imagine? 
I'm not, actually, because I will be flying to Russia on the Saturday night, and I hope to land in Sochi, get to my room, and find a television to watch the Super Bowl from Sochi at probably, whatever it is, 2 in the morning there. And if not, I'll be recording it at home, and I do have means to watch it from there. I'm sure you'll find a a way to watch the game. There's going to be more than enough journalists clamoring to watch that game in Sochi. (laughs) Well, let's hope so. Bruce, I really appreciate your time, and if we don't speak before you head out uh, to the Olympics, uh, be safe and have fun. My pleasure. Thank you. See you there. There he goes, Bruce Arthur. Follow him on Twitter at Bruce underscore Arthur.